welcome to Advanced Neuroeducation Podcasts. Informative, interesting topics, guests, and a bit of brainstorming, and sometimes we even have a bit of fun. So, here we go. to episode number two of Advanced Neuroeducation Podcasts. We have four kinds of podcasts we're going to do. Just to remind you, we've got vestibulizing, concussion discussions, neuro nuggets, and motor control musings. Today's episode is a vestibulizing episode. I understand that's not a word, it's not a real word, but it's a word now. We've, we've created it. It means we're going to be just discussing uh, all things vestibular, um, and, and things that are interesting in vestibular and, and some different ideas. So today I want to talk about uh, the evolution of vestibular rehabilitation, where it's come from, um, share some of my experiences, where it's affected uh, my, how it's affected my practice and, and where it all started for me. Um, and probably my career has sort of uh, come off the back of um, the, the early evolution of uh, vestibular rehab and and we and as a neurophysio puts us in a really interesting place as to where it's going next and that's what i really want to discuss so why is vestibular rehab such a big deal anyway why do we make this one of the you know important areas to discuss well it's a huge problem so in terms of dizziness it's a massive problem we've got um, it's unbelievably common um, and when people have dizziness it has an um, uh, enormous effects on their quality of life uh, it affects their work affects all their activities it can lead to social isolation and inactivity which we know that's a huge problem it increases risk of falls and injury um, and so for those of you interested in falls and falls prevention you really want to be up to speed with dizziness and the management of dizziness it's also got a strong link with anxiety and stress and other mental health issues. And I think those things will be uncovered a little bit further. We, we know a lot about anxiety. Um, what we don't fully appreciate yet is the impact anxiety has on, on other things in this particular dizzy population. And I think we'll probably understand as we learn about vestibular rehab how important it is for uh, these concepts, and these therapy concepts, in actually treating anxiety. Um, and that's actually... An interesting topic in itself where we're treating anxiety but not necessarily the dizziness um, and if you think about some of the benefits of things like Tai Chi for example um, the impact it has on stress and anxiety can be quite impressive but anyway I've already gone off on a tangent so let's come back so let's think about the evolution of things so for myself personally um, what's the background I remember my first I vividly remember my first vestibular patient. So my first job was at the MS Society. So I was working with people with multiple sclerosis here in um, Adelaide, South Australia, and I had a patient with dizziness, and this person did have MS. Um, and I assessed them as best I could. Um, I hate to think what I did compared to perhaps what I would do now, but I assessed them and came to the conclusion that there was some positional aspect 
aspect of it and, and I and was aware of some aspect of positional vertigo um, this is in my first year I think as a physiotherapist so I had some appreciation of it um, and the place where I worked the physio that worked at the MS Society before me she had left me um, a massive amount of resources so there's this filing cabinet with these documents and huge amounts of doc documents and I went to this section about vestibular pulled out some files was brushing off all the dust and looking through it all and then I saw this thing about BPPV and the Epley's Maneuver and I tried with this particular patient I tried the Epley's Maneuver and it worked so here's a patient with multiple sclerosis where we know central vestibular signs are not that uncommon we know dizziness is not necessarily uncommon in, in multiple sclerosis and you think about demyelinating lesions in brainstem and cerebellum and the effect that is but here we had a patient here with with your stock standard posterior canal BPPV and a young physio following some dusty old instructions and I managed to clear this person's vertigo. Now that's, a, if you, whenever you, a lot of you will relate to this, when you treat your first BPPV patient successfully, it's, it's, it's really satisfying, it's really exciting. You go from, um, you know, quite a strong, horrible symptom sometimes to this sort of immediate resolution of symptoms. So it's really, that was really, really cool. And so that was the beginning of me trying to understand more about this condition because you I think I wouldn't want to miss that again and geez it would be nice to be able to treat someone again with this pretty relatively simple maneuver um, that it could be followed through um, and I hadn't done any courses or things like that so typical uh, this is the way I operate Typ typical me I thought I'd try and find out some more information and I came across this book called the handbook of vestibular rehabilitation it was written by Linda Luxon and Rosalind Davies, and these were two consultants working out of um, the National Hospital of Neurology and Neurosurgery in Queen Square. And this book was really useful, it gave me a good appreciation and um, overview of the vestibular system. Again, probably wasn't paying enough attention as an undergraduate at university, which is um, you know, to be expected uh, it, for those that know me. And then I, I read through this and understood a lot more. It was a really good basis to understand the basics of vestibular rehab and how to at least get started and obviously this is the way the world works isn't it i read this book these two consultants were working at queen square and i ended up doing my first locum job there when we traveled to london and then i ended up studying and doing my master's of clinical neuroscience there as well so it is a very small world so anyway i had this book and i read it and then i followed through and then um i remember actually when i got to the locum job at um, the National Neurology and Neurosurgery. They had a vestibular group. They had a, a cawthorn Cooksey group. They had a group there doing exercises. Um, so that was nice to be able to see some of the th things they were talking about in practice. Um, for, so for myself, I then sort of started to, as a neurophysio, seeing patients with dizzy and getting a, a building up my knowledge in that particular area. Uh, it was enough, I suppose, of interest that when I got to Queen Square to do my master's, when I had to do a research project, I aligned myself with uh, Professor Brian Day, who worked in the sensory motor lab there and did some research around galvanic vestibular stimulation, which is a fascinating thing in terms of uh, an investigative tool that helps us understand when we stimulate the vestibular system, what actually happens, what motor outputs and what, what balance reactions. And it, it reveals a lot about the, um, the nature of vestibular response 
um, and how it relates to other sensations. So it's a tool where you can sort of look at the sensory reweighting. You can understand about plasticity. You can understand about some of the um, interesting implicit processes involved in motor control. So that was a that was a real eye opener, and it was a, it was certainly a fantastic experience for me. And I went on after that lots of vestibular courses and over the last 20 years been doing seeing lots and lots of patients um, I've been running courses then myself since about 2005 I think I ran the first vestibular course that I did I went on some courses so obviously in Australia we had I think it was 2006 I went to the one of the Susan Herdman courses where they came across from America and did a, um, a week-long course in um, vestibular rehab and of course the the Susan Herman book became the Bible of vestibular rehab which was an absolutely fantastic resource um, so yeah and then obviously since then I've been doing a lot more work in that area in terms of balance and falls and research and we've now you know doing some teaching now is the big focus so a lot of face-to-face -face teaching and online courses which will run through here advanced new education um, and we'll certainly be following up with some of this stuff with some interesting articles and uh, podcasts as well. So if you think about it, um, vestibular rehab is a huge deal because it's, it might, you know, let's say it's maybe one in 10 people over 65 are going to be dizzy. So we're talking about huge amounts of people. We know age-related changes lead to these problems. So it's going to be an ongoing problem for many people uh, with this aging population. And while it's the scale of it is huge we have some of the most effective treatments proven by strong clinical evidence so it's a brilliant area to be involved with because there's a large proportion of these people that we can actually treat effectively in a relatively short period of time and we've actually got clear protocols more clear than ever before about how we go by about um, guiding us in treatments and helping our patients uh, through some really tricky times so the vestibular assessment and rehabilitation is an absolute game changer for our practice if you're a physiotherapist we think and we'll go through this we think you really should know about this sort of stuff and it won't take you long to upskill um, with well-documented delays in the implementation of best practice which we know this we know this is a problem across all areas of, of rehab and medicine so but we need medical and adult health practice to, to get involved in better management of dizziness. Um, and we they really need to get this information out there in, in different formats and in different ways. So the information not, not just needs to be good quality, but it needs to be usable and it needs to be flexible. And we, want us, we want all of you to be involved in um, um, more informed referrals uh, and better basic management of dizziness. So we want GPs and physios, for example, to be managing dizziness much more effectively. Um, we know there are other health professionals, other other places, other countries where they're more they're also involved in vestibular rehab. We've got chiropractors here in Australia, just to follow some of the same similar guidelines. Uh, in other countries, nurses, occupational therapists can also get involved. Audiologists as well. So there's a lot of crossover. Um, but I'm particularly talking to the obviously my role is in the physio audience. Um, becomes really important. So we need more vestibular rehab training. Uh, we need more, more vestibular services. We want to expand the vestibular rehab influence into other areas. So this is interesting. 
expanding into things where you don't think vestibular first and foremost. So falls and balance, uh, concussion, whiplash, migraine, uh, neurological rehabilitation when we're talking about stroke, multiple sclerosis, traumatic brain injuries, all the big players in um, the scope of health and in neuro rehab, vestibular rehab and vestibular knowledge is absolutely uh, vital to being enhancing your practice in that particular area. So where did vestibular rehab start in the first place? Well, as far as I understand, and people will probably correct me because I might be wrong, but I understand that the whole idea was that we had Cawthorn and Cooksey. So we had at the end of the Second World War in the UK, um, Cawthorn and Cooksey developed a rehabilitation, and I think they were doctors, I think they developed a rehabilitation approach using exercise for people who had dizziness. Thinking about those populations, probably a lot of these people, they were rehabilitating people with dizziness, soldiers were dizzy, and concussion would have been a large part of this. So it's interesting to think the vestibular rehab probably stemmed a lot from concussion and concussion-related issues, including BPPV. Um, and now sort of vestibular rehab's coming back into the concussion world. It sort of maybe left for a while, now it's coming back. So it's fascinating to think that. So we've come a long way. So what were what were the Cawthorn Cooksey exercises and such? So if I have a look at it, so I remember learning this at university and probably not fully appreciating or understanding what it was about, but it was about, you know, lying down in bed and they had these eye movements and they had these neck movements and head movements. Um, focusing on a on your finger moving doing movements and then in sitting um and doing uh movements that that into certain postures particularly postures that you may be avoiding getting your shoulders and getting your neck moving more uh, bending forward picking up objects from the ground in standing it was eye and head and shoulder movements it was changing from sit to stand so big transition uh, movements throwing a ball from hand to hand, throwing a ball um, um, you know, between people. So you had integrating sort of visual tracking, you had head movement, you had balance, and you're putting it all together. Um, so the, these general ideas, and a lot of the concept of the mechanisms of the effect was probably a lot of habituation and a lot of behavioral changes. So we're talking about um, habituation exposure to sensations and with repeat exposure um, then you start to um, learn and habituate to those sensations so those things that were making you apprehensive and dizzy your tolerability was changing over time you can certainly see how vestibular rehab practices change a little bit um, so we sometimes would use um, habituation style exercises but we we would focus in on other things like gaze stability and anchoring your eyes on certain objects with head movement because that would technically make you less dizzy um, but we certainly like the idea of transitioning to using big movements big postures functional tasks all those things are really important then i suppose what happened around that time when i first treated my first bppv treatment so in the 90s we started getting bppv and then this idea i uh, like the epley's maneuver and treatments for bppv incredibly successful treatments for bppv so we had these, the idea of debris floating in your semicircular canals, and we could use uh, the head position. We could determine where those, um, where that debris, those calcium carbonate crystals are, and then we could move the head and use gravity 
to tip those crystals back out where they came from. So go back out into the, the uh, utricle. So that whole idea of maneuvers has continued to grow since then. So now we've got, well, if you do our um, positional vertigo course, which is just about to be released, we've probably got well over 20, close to 30 different maneuvers for different situations. That's in the diagnostic stuff, but also the treatment options. So we're getting a little bit more precise, if you like, with the way we treat BPPV. So that's grown as a big part of vestibular rehab. Vestibular rehabilitation for unilateral vestibular lesions and bilateral vestibular lesions to improve gaze stability and balance and, and head movement. Um, the cervical spine's been really important. We see a crossover now with how we manage neck pain and range, incorporating vision and balance, and how we do that's really fascinating. Um, whiplash is certainly a gelled in into that area as well. Um, how it influenced the way we do balance training now, uh, our exercise prescription, it's changed the way we manage concussion. So it's certainly um, exploding in lots of different directions. So that's why at this particular time, it's good to ask the question, where do we go from here? So obviously we're going to focus on more education, more knowledge. We want better skills in general practice. That's an absolute must. One of the things that you'll find, I suppose this might be a little bit controversial, but I'll say it anyway. Vestibular rehab with the gaze stability exercises and the BPPV treatments has a lot of recipes which is pretty cool because often in our neuro rehab where we don't have recipes, there's a lot of clinical decision-making, a lot of assessing, a lot of clinical reasoning. But you can follow the rules and you can often be quite successful as a vestibular therapist. So you therefore, you don't need to be, let's say, the most flexible thinker, um, but you can still find this area really quite rewarding. Um, so neurological physiotherapy has certainly taken vestibular rehab under its wing now, which I like. I think that's an important, um, that's an important role I think we should play. Uh, and neurological physios are full of all kinds of thinkers, that's for sure. Um, but I suppose from my experience, I've got a bias. I've been dealing a lot with people who are qualified physios learning more. So they, they are perhaps more deep and flexible thinkers, the people that I interact with the most. So I think advancing vestibular rehab into the non-recipe areas, into, say, the, the shadows where evidence is not so clear, I think we're in good hands. I think if we can take the recipe guideline stuff, um, but we can also use our skills to be able to utilise that information for different patient groups, um, that's a really, that's a really um, optimistic um, direction, I think, for the vestibular rehab profession. And obviously, promoting neurological physiotherapy, I think that's absolutely ideal. So with conditions that are, with these vestibular conditions, which are so common, and with such strong evidence for our role, um, I certainly think that physiotherapists, for example, need a certain level of competence, and, that, and that's a no-brainer. And we actually think general practitioners should uh, have a little upskill too. So that's why we've got the um, Assessing the Dizzy Patient in General Practice course just about to be released as well because we think it's not that difficult to skill up in very, very important areas. So the sensible option we think would not be just to produce more vestibular physiotherapists, for example, uh, but to increase the vestibular knowledge and skills for all clinicians um, and clinical physiotherapists 
and you think about it, you work in gerontology, you work in neurology, you work in sports or musculoskeletal, you're going to have dizzy patients and you're going to really appreciate knowing this stuff. Um, and if we, can give, if we can provide that information, that learning, um, and make it more usable, we think that's really important. So then we come to probably the big question, what is vestibular rehabilitation? And I challenge you to find a definition that fits. We sort of know what it is when we talk about it. It involves, oh yeah, that's all that gaze stability stuff and it involves eye movements and involves head movements and it's different velocities and you set these exercises um, with different combinations of those things and you've got treatment for BPPV with specific manoeuvres for that. But then it's not really just that, it's a whole lot more. It's a lot of integrated balance training and what's been happening, if you follow the neuro rehab world, um, it's going. It's vestibular rehab is having benefits for other populations for other reasons. So I did a PhD and I did some research because I was interested in fatigue in multiple sclerosis and how that impacted things like balance and mobility and these kinds of things. Now, if you look at non-pharmacological approaches to manage fatigue and MS, for example, you will find vestibular rehabilitation comes up. So if you do vestibular rehab, or whatever that is, which I think means you're doing some kind of integrated balance training which involves some gaze stability and some head movement and some you know, uh, dynamic balance training, it improves people's fatigue, possibly by making their balance more efficient, uh, improving their confidence, um, and then making them more adaptable, which is a good thing. And then you start looking at other populations. So there's going to be things like, there's benefits for vestibular rehab for stroke. There's benefits for vestibular rehab emerging now for migraine. Um, even for, th for some of the vestibular conditions where we felt like there wasn't a role, like Meniere's disease, um, there's benefits for it. So it's going to be really important from this point, if vestibular rehab is so good for all these things, to actually establish what it is. And when do we start thinking about, well, what, what's the overlap between just very effective multi-sensory balance training and what is vestibular rehabilitation? And are they actually the same thing? Is vestibular rehab just being incorporated into things? So for if you're a researcher, I would be um, very careful about how you define uh, your search criteria for vestibular rehab and then when you articulate what you're finding based on what it is that the people are actually doing. Because of course you can do vestibular rehab and then engage more in functional tasks and that's going to influence the rehabilitation as well. Innovation is likely to come from different areas. We, we know there's different types of exercise. We know there's different timing. So we know, for example, with unilateral vestibular lesions like vestibular neuronitis, there's probably a critical period where plasticity is more receptive to the training that we do for things like uh, more high velocity gay stability exercises and some of that sort of sensory predicted error-based cerebellar learning is probably in more hearts at that, that particular time. The dose of things, or how, how much uh, and how often um, and how that interacts with other things like the neck, uh, injury, se uh, sensitivity. Uh, so when you've got things like nausea and anxiety, how do you work around those things? What, are, what happens if they've got fatigue and ocular fatigue for stability and eye movements and how does that play into it? Um, 
So obviously the cervical spine and neck rehabilitation is going to blend into this as well. Eye movements, if you're looking at uh, peripheral vestibular problems at the moment, we tend to focus more on gaze stability um, and, and sort of different mechanisms. There's pursuit mechanisms, there's a vestibular ocular reflex, there's cervical ocular reflex involvements in these things. There's also compensatory overt and covert saccadic eye movements. Um, there's restabilization movements. There's different compens compensations that people make, and most of these compensations are good. Um, and so we we are encouraging uh, lots of this um, variability in movement compensations. So that's going to be really interesting. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy now brings in um, is, is closely associated with um, how we would uh, manage and interact with people with vestibular conditions. So there's going to be overlap with the CBT. Um, technology is coming at us like with everything so technology is coming at us you know virtual reality goggles and how they look at so we've got a device the neuroflex at the moment where we're assessing concussion so it can look at eye movements but also detects head movements and so with head in free motion we can get much more functional clues about ocular and vestibular functioning but then what about the gamification of things and can we set uh, games to align more precisely with people's deficits and People would say we're heading, we're, we're almost there, but I, I'm more skeptical about how we, we can match those things up. But I know it's coming and, and I appreciate that that technology will be um, really useful, I think, to bridge that gap between physiotherapy, vestibular style exercises, and then real life situations, uh, particularly returning to work and sport, for example. Um, Motion analysis is going to keep coming too, so we're going to be able to assess eye movements and neck movements, and we're going to be able to look at balance more, more closely in um, a free world functional environment, which is great. So we're not just in these laboratories anymore; we're moving out, and we can measure movement a lot more clearly with equipment that's far less expensive. So that's pretty cool. We do have to keep strong collaborative links, um, I think, between experienced clinicians and researchers. Um, I'm not entirely sure this is actually happening as much as it should be, uh, but it definitely should be. And I think there needs to be a lot more a dialogue asking clinicians what they think because day to day we are coming up against the problems that we would like researchers to to go away and find out and we'd be very, very grateful for that. Um, and I'm not entirely sure that's happening. And also with technology too, I do want these tech people to keep talking to us about what is it that we want and what we need um, and then they can use their super brains to then come up with devices that are actually going to be um, very, um, very usable for us uh, and our patients. So, you know, e evidence and updates, uh, from my experience, will, will needs to be updated probably at least every two years. So for the, our courses, probably every one to two years, we'll be updating these courses. So we do, uh, we do change what we do quite a lot in vestibular rehab. Um, professional development there and updates around these things is going to be important so that'll have to continue um, and I think there's a, that's where a lot of the innovation will come because things are moving quite quickly I think I've been teaching this now since 2005 but what I teach changes all the time the last three years what I teach in relation to uh, my two-day dizziness course is changing quite a lot because there's some quite clear evidence around this sort of stuff so there's lots of trendy topics too. There's a lot of stuff we like to talk about that's evolving. The whole central and peripheral diagnosis is huge for emergency medicine. It's interesting for us to in vestibular rehab. 
vestibular ocular reflex adaptation is a very exciting area of research, although perhaps a, uh, an overemphasis on just one area, one mechanism of recovery, but we can talk about that later. Types of BPPV is important, and the tricky BPPVs, particularly things like the horizontal canals and trying to work out which side they are and what kind of manoeuvre I will choose to try and treat these people. Always with the idea of how can I treat someone with BPPV in the minimal amount of manoeuvres possible, which is always a good thing. What I always talk about is improving your strike rate. Uh, the role of uh, video goggles in, in when do we use them and, and when are they useful. Um, and a lot of people think you should have them all the time and, and our practice tends to use them only at certain periods. And so there's, there's debates and discussions around that, which I think is useful. Um, and telehealth, what can we assess from afar? Telehealth to support these patients who are often got low quality of life, high levels of anxiety is really important. And we've, we learned that through COVID. But then you start learning, what can you do from a webcam? And how, how, how effective can your assessment be from afar? Can you actually look at oculomotor movements um, with these cameras? And because they're getting better, we, well, we will. We'll be able to do a lot more um, objective examination from a telehealth situation. So that's really interesting as well. So look, there's lots to discuss and we'll come up with those things. So the evolution, I think, is interesting, particularly if we establish what the hell vestibular rehab actually is. So that'll be crucial. What are we doing here at Advanced Neuroeducation? Well, look, we're doing courses and we think these courses are not just for those in, in, you know, interested in this area. We think these, some of these courses are gonna be for all physios, for example. Um, we're gonna have things that are short, uh, short length, uh, with clear learning outcomes um, and you'll be able to just establish your competency levels pretty clearly. We really do focus on clinical reasoning um, and we really do focus on treatments. In fact, the more I talk about clinical reasoning with all the teaching that I do, we work actually not just from the assessment outwards, we actually work backwards from the interventions that uh, are available to us and that we know about and, and try and understand. Of course, we've got the 10 movement training principles which actually do apply really well to vestibular rehab and we will go through that, <clears throat> mark my words. We think we need to, um, we want to make sure that our teaching is supported with, um, you know, uh, good evidence and we're going to have that evidence available, but also we're going to have uh, discussions. So Q&A discussions and webinars to back this stuff up is really important so we can answer the things that are important to you. Um, we'll have uh, our course updates are always going to be transparent. So whenever we change things, you'll see when things are changed and what date. Um, and you can see that's the way we are evolving with our practice. And so you can mirror that with your practice as well. Um, we still have, while we have the online courses, of course, we still have a face-to-face course. So get in touch if you're interested in us, us um, coming out to, to run vestibular stuff with your group. A couple of weeks ago, I did a three-hour version of a BPPV course um, out of the Defence Force. And I think, you know, in those situations, you can sort of tailor-make it to the needs and the knowledge of your group, uh, which is important. Of course, we'll have some blogs as well with some um, discussions about what we think is interesting. So hopefully you think it's interesting because I often think it's interesting. So um, that's the evolution, my evolution for vestibular rehab and the evolution where perhaps we're, where it's come from, where we're going, vestibular rehab. I think it's an exciting area and it's certainly something we're going to follow up with at Advanced Neuroeducation. So I'll see you soon. I think our next episode is a concussion discussion. So tune in for that uh, if you're interested in the latest in concussion management. So I'll leave it there and catch you later. Bye.